Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Producers Podcast. Yes, the name is changing. All of the branding and stuff will be changed soon. This episode, we have Ryan Haggerty, who is a producer, independent filmmaker. He's worked as a cinematographer and now is running a pretty successful freelance media producer business. In this specific episode, we're going to talk about who he is, what he does, and then the background behind his work on our film, Blood on the Leaves. He was the main driving force between raising the money for the film. Uh, we also talk quite a bit about Amazon and video streaming distribution. So enjoy this episode with Ryan. There will be a part two next week that is focused on his successful freelance business. So enjoy these two episodes with Ryan. Don't forget, you can listen to this show mostly anywhere podcasts are live on the internet that includes spotify and itunes if you're on itunes it would be really helpful if you could give us a review that helps more people find the show which helps me get more guests more interesting guests on the show right now i'm kind of tapping into my own network of filmmakers and producers I just started interviewing some producers that are outside of my network, which has been a really interesting and fun experience. The better the show does, the uh, higher we can reach, basically, and the more interesting content I can bring to you. So give us a rating wherever you're listening and enjoy the show. All right, Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. <laughs> it's been great. Good start. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Ryan Haggerty. I am a freelance digital media producer out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I do, you know, full disclosure here, I uh, have known Craig for a while now. Um, we met, I don't know, I guess through teaching out at a business college in rural Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, Craig just kind of took off and we ended up making a feature-length film together and and now we're we're in this freelance life and the struggle is real so <laughs> full disclosure yes yeah so what was your role on the movie that we worked on uh so blood on the leaves that was 2015 i got brought on as one of the producers we figured having i don't know three producers made a lot of sense because there was a lot to do on that film so uh, I think from the get-go, I was carved out to be doing marketing and distribution. So within this whole crazy feature-length, low-budget, micro-budget film we were doing, my job was to figure out how to get some people to invest in the thing, and also how were we going to then, once we were done with the movie, uh, get it in front of an audience and get them to pay money to see it, uh, which changed over time for sure. And then shortly thereafter, I, I also got handed the director of photography duties on the film as well. Yeah, I think the producing side is, if anyone really was as close to the type of producing content that I try to steer things towards on this show, it was you, because you were the one that really secured everyone or almost every one of the investors we had. And obviously we're pretty involved with the, I mean, we kind of all ended up taking on the distribution portion for sure. Uh, because it kind of becomes everyone's job once all of our other hats have dropped. And things change so rapidly in, in distribution for us because our initial plan just like didn't work and you got to do something else then. Let's talk about 
A, where we're at now with the like finances of the film to get it from someone else besides me, since I'm the only one that's talked about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, what you were just saying about getting the money together from the investors, uh, we're, we're up here as we speak right now in uh, rural Pennsylvania. And I think, I think a lot of people will think, okay, you know, film investment, it's this big thing that only happens in certain areas. And, uh, you know, I've got to have a certain budget for people to even care. And uh, I think the approach that we took was more that we have this community here in, in uh, Dubois, that there was a lot of goodwill built up from things that different people were involved in. So I, I was fortunate to work with some nonprofit boards for arts organizations, community organizations, and got to know a lot of people. And for lack of a better term, had you know social capital and was able to go to people and appeal to them that, hey, there's this opportunity that we have to do something really amazing right here in little 20,000 person area, Dubois, Pennsylvania. You know, and if you put enough trust in us, like we're going to see this through and make it happen. So, you know, not that people just are willing to give you thousands of dollars because you're a nice person or you're based in the community. But I think just through these relationship building things are already happening naturally it made a lot of sense to kind of appeal to like, what's another way to engage the community? What's another way for this area to have something really cool happening that was not already happening? It was kind of the, the way that story came about. There's an interesting piece there. I, I get a lot of comments or I see this a lot in like really green filmmakers that they see their projects as this community project and they think like, I'm gonna do this great thing for my small town or my city by making this movie here, which in a way that it is a cultural piece of, of your, your area. But if you haven't given, I like the use of the word social capital actually, if you haven't given anything to your community already, asking people to support you and give you money and come to your screenings and do all this stuff that like you haven't really earned, is a difficult thing that and I, I think that's why a lot of people fail at it because they haven't really invested themselves into their communities and they're expecting their communities to invest back in them even though the project sure is part of of a community thing if it is i don't think it's enough an art project of any sort is really enough to be completely held up by your community without you having put some kind of work in beforehand is there if someone's let's say young-ish in their 20s and they're looking to get involved in their community to kind of build up this i'm talking about this in such like a dissociated way but to build up some kind of social capital you know what would be the suggestions of ways to get involved yeah and i think this applies you know we're referring to this area you know being a rural area but even within cities i mean it just depends on what your passions are i think people will naturally gravitate towards things um, so, you know, co-working spaces are a popular thing now. So it could be that you have a co-working space that you work out of and you volunteer and do lunch and learns there. Um, it could be that you go out and through the place that you work, you know, you're getting to know people and you're supporting the things that they do. You know, I'm not, you know, I mentioned I've joined some boards and things. You don't have to go all out and do that to be well, like that's someone easier. That's easier to do too in a small town than it is in a big city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's all about just kind of volunteering your time. And I wouldn't go out of my way to do something within a community that's not true to what you're doing and who you are. 
per se. So I think if you think about some of the things that you're already doing, uh, like I said, whether it's just kind of being in the space where you're working and, you know, you gave something to a GoFundMe that somebody else was doing, like that's building community. Sure. Uh, yeah. You showed up at your friend's event. You volunteered to take photos. You, you know, you were just there when somebody else needed you. Like yeah. that's really what it comes down to. Um, and, and it's important just to talk about what you're passionate about through all of all that. So if people know that you're the film person or you're the person who's making this smaller project over here or that, like they see that they don't look, you know, I think in our own minds as creatives, we're pretty critical of our own work and we kind of look at it as like, Oh, I'm not doing something important. Like I'm doing this little project. Nobody noticed, you know, it's not a big deal. But if, if this is something that you're trying to be professional about and involve money and pay people, you have to start telling that part of the story while you're doing the community building too. Yeah, well, and I, I do think there's something to being kind of uh, known as the the film person or whatever. I mean, I, that happens in in the job that I had this past two years was I was very involved in the community, and there's not there's nothing wrong with talking about my filmmaking experience. It actually makes for a much more interesting conversation. You know, it's, it's something you're passionate about and people get excited about the things that you're passionate about. And then maybe they can talk about the band they're in on the side. I've met lawyers that are like super passionate about the band they're in. It's like, Oh, that's, I would never have expected that. And then you get these, like, it makes everybody you're talking to into a three dimensional person mm -hmm. because you're being a three dimensional person. And I think that builds deeper relationships than just being like trying to be, coldly professional and one-dimensional whenever you're in a social situation but the big thing is is getting out and being social yeah <laughs> like that's and i get it that's hard for some people that's but even as an introvert you kind of have to force yourself into those situations or you're never going to be a good people person to begin with which is incredibly important in filmmaking yeah i mean i think people welcome these kinds of conversations like if you are in the process of you know, so, so this whole idea of community building comes down to like you are a fixture in the place that you're living in, but you want to be like active and you want to see the place that you live in be better. Like if people kind of start to get that about you and, and when I say be better, I mean, that's anything from frequenting a local business to help them, you know, stay in business. Uh, that's, you know, like I said, maybe if you having the aptitude for doing some marketing or taking photos or whatever, uh, going out for a night and photographing your friend's band and like posting the pictures and sharing them. And Oh, wow. You know, thanks for that, dude. That was really, that meant a lot to me. But just those little things, like people start to see that side of what you do and the fact that you're taking it seriously and you're considering it a profession, even if you're not paying all your bills based off of that, like it starts to elevate it to the level that they're thinking in their mind, you know, well, this is what I do for a living. That's what they do for a living. Um, and then when it comes down to the money part, they start to take it a little bit more seriously because they've seen you put that time into it too. So yeah, don't be afraid to talk to people. You know, I, I think you, you brought up that term being like socially awkward or whatever. If it's something you care about, like you can talk about it, like because you know it. And the more you do it, the more natural it will start to become. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, as someone who used to deal with a lot of social anxiety, that's pretty much the way to get 
through social anxiety is to talk about something you know and you're passionate about hmm. but also i mean listening and not just rambling about it for six hours whenever someone's like clearly not interested <laughs> there's a degree of, of being able to read people so, that matters so i'll say this from the other side like so being here uh and, and actually uh teaching in a filmmaking program a lot of people knew me as like the film professor guy and i would get approached you know somebody wanting to do a project or whatever has never tried to be shoot down somebody's idea or something, but it did have ways of kind of vetting their seriousness. So if somebody said, I have an idea for something, I'm like, that's great. You know, what, what is there a script? Like, did you like start to write this down? Like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, you know, when you have something written down, like, you know, talk to me about it. Um, and it's not that I want, like I said, wanted to push somebody's idea down or not make them feel like they could do something. But, you know, just like I said, with other people, I want to see a level of commitment and seriousness to what they're doing before I decide to invest my time right. in what they were doing. And, and, you know, so I just appreciated that little extra level of effort. You know, if I saw that, then I'm willing to take it to the next level and start that conversation and maybe even engage and entertain working with them. Well, I have this question then. What was it that convinced you to join me and Vincent when we came to you with the Blood and the Leaves project? <laughs> well, you guys had the script. I know from the past, the blue card series that you were willing to like do something for a long period of time and see it through and, you know, do things in the cold and film and kind of <laughs> suffer a little bit. Uh, a little bit of suffering goes a long way. But yeah, I mean, I think it was just kind of seeing a quality product come out of your previous efforts, but then to also see a, a script, you know, a feature length script actually getting written and in whatever iteration it was at that point being good and scenes playing well. And then, you know, as we got into those conversations about audience and cost and realizing that there was a yeah. small enough budget, like a lot of the pieces kind of clicked into place from it being a worthwhile project just based off the story to knowing that we had some of the talent here and like on hand and available. And then also just thinking about, you know, what we talked about with social capital, knowing that there's probably some people in the area that would be willing to let us use locations and invest some money in like those sorts of things. It just seemed like the right time. Right. Yeah. And the budget was, I think, part of it too was that it was a reasonable amount it wasn't like we were saying we're going to make a three hundred thousand dollar movie in Dubois, pennsylvania for our first feature film and we're not going to settle unless we get three hundred thousand dollars yeah and we we kept so so i think the other thing was knowing you know knowing that you guys had worked through blue cards successfully as like a team and figured out how to do that and even you know get it out online and uh have people watch it and everything so that like going through that whole process it's like all right well Surely they've learned like some of the things what not to do already from that project, so that's good. <laughs> uh, you, hey, know. you know, technically, Blue Card was profitable. Yeah, we made about a thousand dollars on it, and we spent about like six hundred dollars on it. So that's a good feeling. I mean, to know <laughs> that you know, and, it, and it's always like that you took it seriously, right? Yeah. That you follow, you actually saw it through. There's a lot, a lot of people that work on a project and you'll see like uh, maybe online on social media or an actor will, will post a screenshot and they're like, cool project last summer. Maybe it'll come out some point, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I just had an actress on the podcast when I was in LA and, she, and we were talking about 
how many projects you work on that just don't come out and how that's like the worst feeling as someone who's not in control of a project. If you're an actress or even a cinematographer or a uh, like sound guy, whatever, to work on a project and then nothing happened. <laughs> uh, and it happens all the time. So it's like knowing that you're working with someone that's actually going to finish the thing mm -hmm. is, is definitely huge. So don't be that person that doesn't finish things. We all like do it sometimes, but like uh, try really, really hard not to do it at all. People, people remember. <laughs> yeah, because it's it sucks. I mean, if you've ever, I've been on the opposite end where I've worked. I've put a lot of work into something that isn't my project. Specifically, I've done a couple producing things that like I put a lot of time and effort into producing this thing, uh, and stepped away for one reason or another. Usually because I realized the project's never going to get done with the people that are working on it. Not that they're bad people or anything. They're just I don't think they really understood what they were getting into when they first got into it. Um, and I think maybe part of that is I should have looked and noticed that they hadn't really finished any <laughs> short films prior or they had, but it had taken them a year to do one short film. Those kind of things are kind of red flags as a producer that I should have noticed. I learned my lesson basically. But yeah, that sucks to then not have that thing finished because then it's like, well, what do you have to show for all that time and effort you put into the thing? Well, and that and that's why, like I said, with your previous project, seeing that you got, and not only did you put it out, but like you had screened it, you had chopped it up in different ways to serve it up to people and tried different things. You know, going back to the budget for Blood on the Leaves and the whole planning of that, you guys worked well together on your previous project, which meant you had to compromise, mm, you know, yeah. and not compromise in a way that you're compromising your overall vision, but compromising in your planning or at least changing plans is as challenges come up and, and you have to and i think with blood on the leaves like even the budget we had originally was probably bigger yeah that we had on paper and so then as you get into the reality of like okay you know it's like two weeks before we start filming here's the money on hand and yeah, what we are were these looking. decisions and who is getting paid and who isn't <laughs> getting paid and very quickly you know it was apparent we were not getting paid right yeah. away but I knew that you guys were going to finish the project even at that, right? Like nobody, you know, the three of us weren't looking at it like, well, we don't get paid. We're going to be really surly about it and pissed. We were thrilled to have money to pay quality talent. Yeah. Like I think that was the highlight of having any of that budget to begin with was knowing like, oh, we're going to get to work with people that are getting paid and they're going to show up on time and they're going to they know what they're doing. Seriously, yeah. They're professionals. They're, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, I wrote an article on the Filmmaker Freedom website about paying your crew and like how big of a game changer that is. And it really, and actors too, uh, I consider actors part of the crew, they're filmmakers as well. Mm. Uh, and that's such, it makes such a huge difference. And yeah, we weren't paying like A-list talent, we were paying people that were kind of just at the level of being professionals or even really skilled amateurs. And but it, it made a huge difference compared to just oh having gosh. a bunch of hobbyists working on it, which I think is the difference when you're paying people. Our budget originally was 18000 Was what yeah. we That was our low-end budget. We were like, if we don't raise 18000 <laughs> we can't make this. And then we raised 10000 and we were like, all right, <laughs> that's what we got. Actually, I think we only raised 8000 and then we put in some money ourselves. But Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, just just a quick commentary on the talent and everything. Like, we really lucked out because we ended up with some of our second choice people on crew even ended up being better than what, well, their credentials and like what they ended up doing. So I, I don't know, like once once you have a budget in hand, like 
it changes the conversation you're having about the type of project that you're making and who's going to work on it. And I think it also adds a level of seriousness to the project because now you're having to track financials and know that your decisions have real consequences, whether it's like, you know, do we have money to rent this piece of gear and pay these people who are now here and committed to the project? Uh, you know, how are we going to pay back our investors? And, you know, how long of a life is this project going to have? Like, I think here we are in 2019 talking about this. We started in 2015 with a lot of the heavy pre-production planning and all that. So really, if you look at this just as a business, there's, you know, and if you include writing, that's even longer. So it's like four to five year plan for this whole thing to play out in a right. way that now we've satisfied crew, cast, IRS, investors, and everybody. And now we may actually... Basically, everybody has gotten paid except for us now. <laughs> yeah. And now 2019 is our year. So, um, yeah. Which, it, thank you, Amazon, because we just got a nice little amount of money in January, surprisingly. Yeah. Which is just weird. The whole Amazon... We, we've been trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Amazon, where how it decides... <laughs> Who it's how often it's serving our movie up because obviously when we're getting higher amounts of viewers we're getting it we're we're being served up more often mm. um, and we've been trying to figure out why it's unfortunate because Amazon doesn't really give you any information they basically give you this is how many minutes you're streaming this is how much money money you made off no, of it Amazon if you're listening your your analytics are hot garbage yeah it's better than <laughs> Netflix though so Amazon Prime has got like, that other. thank you for the money but yeah yeah give us give us that data that's I, uh, data I have an interview coming up on the show by the producer of the uh, movie Uncle John I don't know if you've heard of that movie it was on Netflix and it's pretty good it was but it was i'm trying to think i think the budget was like 60,000 something it was a, a little higher budget than our movie but it may have had a name talent and stuff but they got on netflix and i when i reached out to him his first comment was i just want to say that like we haven't made our money back yet so i don't know if i'm appropriate for for this thing and i think it's i think that makes it even more interesting because everyone assumes oh you get on netflix like that's success as a filmmaker mm -hmm. um and that what i'm finding out by people that have been on netflix is that like the deal netflix give you gives you is not very good mm -hmm. and they don't give you any information they don't even tell you how many viewers you got they just say do we want it again or not like they, they give you a period of time and they say you're on netflix you have a contract for a year and then after the year's up they either say never mind we don't want it anymore or they say yeah we'll take it again and here's how much we'll offer you well, and see, this says to me, like, whether it's Amazon or Netflix or whoever is serving up your content, that they must, you know, their their model to make money must not be at all reliant on any of us as content creators because they have the data, right? Yeah. Like, how much more of a challenge or, you know, cost of it is, is it to them to serve up more data? Because to me, if they wanted more of this to happen they would show what success means and give us a wide, like we can't even go back on our Amazon account beyond what is it? 12 weeks on a graph and see what our numbers look like. I think you can individually each month download like a, the CV, a spreadsheet CSV, that yeah. is hard as hell to even read because the columns are all goofy right. for all your touch points. But just having, you know, even a visual data served up of a year, you know, as a filmmaker would mean so much to be able to go back and be like, what am I doing my next project? Or how do I appeal to investors to show them success, right? 
So when you're thinking about all these reasons why you want to choose a platform, you know, it is great that we're making money. And, you know, I don't want to knock Amazon for offering this up for DIY. But, you know, to encourage more of this, if they want this to be a meaningful relationship, like I think they need to step it up. And, and I guess because there's no competition, they don't have to. Yeah, I mean, well, there I, is competition. I don't think but. that's, yeah, it, it, it's, well, I mean, you look at YouTube. YouTube gives you a crazy amount of analytics. Now they've cut off the bottom of the barrel yeah. by making you have to reach a certain amount before you can sell a movie on there, Yeah. Um, which I think it's fine. I think whatever, that just kind of forces you to build an audience before you release something on, mm. on YouTube. But the amount of data they give you is crazy. I mean, it's Google. Google's pretty much all about open source everything. Uh, so that's great. That's It's just a company culture thing, I think, honestly. Like, Netflix's whole company culture is, like, don't share the data. They don't share the data mm. with investors even. So it's like I see that I don't think they're really even considering how that affects the creators, unfortunately. And then Amazon is a little bit better. And then there's so many other platforms, too. But yeah, they don't have in, the audience. In that, my mind, it's like, you know, you think about independent filmmaking. There's always been decade to decade these different changes on ways that people are like, all right, this is how you get an independent movie financed. And these are the markets it plays well in. And um, that's everything from back when your goal was to get to a festival in the American marketplace or whatever. And then maybe... You're going to take a hit on your domestic distribution, but you're going to do really well and make all your money off of foreign, or you're going to get a good DVD deal, or it's always changed. And now we're in right. this digital world where, you know, we've had a project. So, you know, I'm sure there's there's lots of projects like this that are sub 20K, sub 10K, or whatever they might be, where somebody can actually put together a quality product. And now they're able to line up their own marketing materials and get all their caption material up on Amazon Video Direct or whatever and actually put it in front of a large marketplace. Like I think we had to date like 50 to 70,000 people who have at least watched it. And you're looking at that like, oh, cool, I want to replicate that or I want to take this deal and bump it up to 50K and like see what those numbers should look like, you know, and how many viewers am I serving it up to? But it's really hard to draw that data out if you're not being served up by your distributor to be able to then take it to an investor or a collaborator or, you know, whoever to make that happen again. You know, somebody could really build a livelihood around some of these things, and they are. Yeah. But, you know, you're almost uh, being hindered before you even get started on the next deal because you don't have the, the benefit of taking those those numbers really deeply. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to do something with them. I think um, something I'm going to be doing with our Amazon data is exporting those spreadsheets and then lining that up against what we've done as far as marketing or mentioning the film. Uh, and like I was just talking about with you before we started recording this about the reviews and kind mm -hmm. of looking at, okay, when did we get these reviews and when are we seeing different upticks and downticks with our data and basically doing what I wish Amazon would do for us, uh, but having to do it manually, which I don't even know how much that's actually going to show us, mm -hmm. but at least it'll show us something because it's really frustrating not having any clue what's what causes the ups and downs. And I get asked about it all the time. I get emails on a daily basis, basically, from other filmmakers that are like, well, what caused that $3,000 a month you had? And it was like, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. But yeah, I think that it's like, I would love to see them be more forward about it. And I, 
I think I get from Netflix's standpoint why they're so secretive about their data because they're trying to, it's a very competitive marketplace right now, the, the video stream. Because I mean, there's so many different players in the market now. Amazon Prime and Netflix and Hulu were the, the first big three and all three of them are pretty secretive with their data hmm. because I think they're just paranoid about how, I'm sure there's some really smart business move behind that. But as creators, it's incredibly frustrating because we could be producing a lot more content for them yes. if we knew what the hell they wanted from us. Well, it's the kind of feeling that uh, I know the different streaming platforms have different offers to people that go through certain film festivals to get exclusive rights to stream on their platforms. So that's one. So if you kind of carve it up into programming and the kind of content creators they seem to be interested in, there's like that end where they're going to vet them through a major film festival. Like So that's one entry point. Uh, Amazon has another one that has to do with screenplays and potentially purchasing the rights to something that they could produce that somebody has written. So that's another piece of programming, right? But then they created this uh, Amazon Video Direct, which seems like they're interested in a wide array of content creators. Now they've had some time to see... You know, who's actually watching these things? How much does this cost us to pay, you know, for blood on the leaves to have this many views and, and uh, making adjustments to that rate and everything? But I'm not sure they've really taken a long look or even if they care to at like, do we want to curate programming specifically for this level of content creator that gets this many views? So yeah. I think once you're in another echelon of, hundreds of thousands of views or, or a month or whatever the rate might be that they're really interested in, yeah, they want to do business with you. But at this level, we're kind of uh, there and we exist, but I don't know how much they care. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's the same with any other platform. And YouTube has even moved in that direction where they stopped really communicating with people under a certain subscriber level. Yeah. And I get it. As a business move, they want to give more attention and more support to the people that are actually bringing significant viewership to their platform. Uh, and it kind of gives everyone else a level to to strive for. What I like about YouTube is that they're very transparent about it. They're like, get this number of subscribers and we'll take you seriously, basically. So what would blow my Here's what would blow my mind. What if they did the reverse, right? What if they, and, and I don't know how well it would work if you put it out online first, but what if they said, okay, we're going to put your stuff up on Amazon Video Directs. This is, this is like a pipe dream here, right? <laughs> and then... You, you're like, your numbers are hitting, you're doing really well. And then if you do well enough, like Amazon has partnered with like certain theater chains and now you get theatrical distribution on the other end. Like I think they could be doing some more interesting things. Uh, and it's all a challenge, I think, for them because it is a newer thing. And, you know, the different streaming uh, providers sure. are all doing different things to try well, to Well, once grow. Jeff Bezos buys AMC, then that'll be it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Which I think is, I seriously think that might be a move that he'll eventually make. But Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, me too. All right, Ryan, we didn't talk about your freelance stuff at all. I, <laughs> I would like to talk about that. Maybe we should make a part two. We're totally at the 30 minute mark. So where can people find you if they're interested in checking you out and following you? Yeah, sure. Um, so my freelance business is probably uh, the best way to find me. Uh, so I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Haggerty Media. And uh, also work out of a really cool space called Work Hard Pittsburgh. So if you check out Work Hard Pittsburgh, you can probably catch me there too. Sweet. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Craig. It's been a blast.
Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Indie Film Producers Podcast. If you want to hear about his freelance career, you can check out part two coming next week. The episodes of the show come out every Tuesday, as long as I don't die or something. <laughs> we are now on basically every platform that I'm interested in getting on. Spotify was the last one to check off the list. So you can listen wherever you'd like. And it helps us a ton if you can give us a rating if you're enjoying the show on iTunes or any platform. Give us a thumbs up, add us to your playlist. Those things help us rank higher in the algorithms and show up more, which means we can get more guests on the show. Really appreciate the feedback we've gotten so far. If you want to give feedback, you can send me, Craig Inzana, I-N-Z-A-N-A, a message on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Gmail. I'm on all those places and my name's pretty much always just Craig and Zana. So don't be afraid to reach out. I love the feedback so far. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. <laughs>